Are you a real estate investor looking to elevate your income, freedom, and lifestyle? If so, optimize your daily performance by downloading our free guide, Raising the Bar, Five Steps to Elevate Your Habits at ElevatePod.com. In this guide, created by yours truly, you'll learn why you do what you do, how to easily institute cues in your environment to trigger desired behavior, directly applicable steps to create a fulfilling future, and much more. Get your free copy now at ElevatePod.com and kickstart your new habits today. Your future self will thank you. Welcome to Elevate the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I'm blessed and grateful to be sitting with Max Sharkansky today of Tryon Properties. You're going to learn a lot about how to create massive success in real estate. You're going to learn about really his trajectory, his story, his background from not only founding a multifamily investment company in the early to mid 2000s to overcoming, creating opportunities through the great financial crisis and really the run up from there to today. And I think you're going to learn so much about the way that he has led his team towards massive success. You want to talk about a billion in assets under management and growing tremendously. I mean, you talk about 400 plus million in current acquisitions that are going to be closing here over the next couple months. I mean, we're, we're definitely grateful to have been able to spend time with Max during, you know, a very, very busy time in his company's history. And as investors, this is what we want. This is what we need to be able to grow is to surround ourselves with people like Max. So I want to encourage you to buckle up. Elevate Podcast is all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal development for high-performing real estate investors. I'm your host, Tyler Chesser, and I'm a professional real estate investor and high-performance coach. It is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time. Let's raise the bar today. And if it's your first time listening to Elevate Podcast, welcome. So thankful to have you here. If you've been here before, if you've been here two times, you've been here one time, you've been here 258 times, whatever, however many times it's been for you, welcome back. I want to encourage you. I want to ask you from the bottom of my heart to please pay the fee. The fee, if you haven't been here before, if you've been here before, you know what the fee is. It's to pay it forward. It's to share this episode with a friend. Share this podcast with one person. If you've already done that in the past, we thank you. We ask you to do that again. The only way that we can continue to grow is if we receive introductions from you, just like any other business would. We are not too busy. We're not, you know, we're not too amazing to receive your introductions. And I'm just so thankful for that. All you have to do is grab the link, send in a text message, an email, post it on social media, whatever. I'm sure there's many other ways that you can do it. Um, but I just ask you to go ahead and share this episode with a friend, with someone else, so that we can continue to pour into more people's cup. The only way that we're going to be able to do that on a continual basis is if we continue to grow. And guess what? We are growing by leaps and bounds. So I just want to thank you for making introductions in the past. With all that said, I also want to ask you to give us a rating review and subscribe or follow Elevate Podcast on wherever it is that you listen or watch podcasts. With all that said, this episode is super valuable. I want to dive in and introduce you to Max Sharkansky, the co-founder and managing partner who oversees all aspects of acquisition, disposition, and property analysis for Tryon Properties. Since the firm's founding in 2005, Max has led the acquisition, renovation, and disposition of over more 
of more than $1 billion in mismanaged, distressed, or undervalued multifamily assets yielding an average IRR or internal rate of return in excess of 25%. Max, along with his partner, Mitch Pascover, initially formed the company to acquire properties in Los Angeles. Max led Tryon into the execution of several acquisitions in the firm's first two years of existence, exiting the portfolio prior to the economic crisis. With cash on hand and no resources tied up in workouts, Max led an acquisition strategy of targeting distressed debt uh, secured by multifamily REOs, which led to the ultra successful campaign of the acquisition of 20 properties throughout the downturn. Since the recovery, Tryon has shifted strategies to the acquisition of value add properties where value can be created through extensive renovations, hands-on management and improvement of operating efficiencies. Max's ability to identify and then acquire distressed multifamily properties and his expertise in the marketplace have been instrumental in the success of Tryon Properties. Prior to co-founding Tryon Properties, Max was a senior associate at Marcus and Millichap from 2002 to 2006, where he managed the sale of several million dollars in real estate throughout the U.S., specifically in the multifamily arena, elevating him to one of the top rated brokers in, the, in Los Angeles. Max graduated from Loyola Marymount University, where he earned a bachelor's degree in business administration with an emphasis on finance. Without further ado, please enjoy this insightful, this game-changing conversation with Max Sharkansky. Max Sharkansky, welcome to Elevate, my friend. How are you? Good, good. How are you? Thank I'm you for great, having me. man. Thank you for joining me on a beautiful Friday afternoon. Well, I guess it's Friday morning on the West Coast, but uh, it sounds like you've had a busy week, huh? Uh, it's had a crazy week. Yeah, we got a lot going on. Yeah, well, that's good. Sure I mean, to that's talk about, yeah. obviously mover and shaker. Um, you know, I think it's important to note, you know, sometimes when we're doing these podcasts, a lot of people think, well, you know, people are on podcasts all the time. Well, it's like, you know, you're running a business and obviously you guys, a billion dollars assets under management across the United States. You know, there's, I'm sure there's no shortage of fires you're fighting, um, you know, challenges you're overcoming, personnel issues, things like that, you know, but what's what's keeping your main focus right now, Max? Um, right now, we just have a huge pipeline of acquisitions and that is our number one focus right now. We're pretty much not even taking any new ones, um, at least for a couple of weeks until we get these capitalized. So our focus right now is um, to get these about, we got about four or $500 million, just under half a billion dollars in acquisitions in the pipeline right now, um, all of which would close in the next more or less 45 to 60 days. Um, one or two of them may trickle out on an extension, but for the most part, they're all closing in the next 45 days um, between May 10th and like June 1st is the bulk of it. That is amazing. That's incredible. Congrats, first of all. Obviously, Thank you. There's, there's a lot of work to be done to get there. But is this a part of the 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 third fund now that uh, that you guys have rolled out, or is this a part of a previous fund? Or, or give me a sense of how you're capitalizing. Yeah, it's fund three. Uh, fund three will be a member of every single acquisition we have in the pipeline right now, and we do some sidecars in there. So some of them are joint ventures, but some of them are also syndications. Got it. Got it. So Max, as a part of this conversation, what I always like to do is to connect my guests to the listeners so they can kind of bring them up to speed of who, who exactly we're speaking to. Obviously, we're speaking with someone who's experienced a lot of success as a leader in the real estate space. 
um, as a sponsor. Um, and, you know, as, as someone who's founded a company and obviously you cr- cr- continue to create tremendous growth. But if you were to describe yourself, Max, and we're kind of taking a step back from everything that you're up to uh, right now, but if you were to describe yourself in the way that the people who know you best would describe you, what would they say about you? Um, ambitious, very hardworking, very focused. I love it. Straight to the point. And yeah, there's no, no question about that, but give us a sense of your backstory, your upbringing, give us an understanding of kind of where you came from growing up, how you, how you arrived to the real estate space. I know obviously you started as a broker back in the early two thousands, but give us a sense of your backstory a bit. Uh, we're immigrants. We came from the former Soviet union. What is now Ukraine country you see a lot right now in the news. Mm-hmm. Um, the fam, my family is from Odessa, Ukraine, uh, came to the U S in 1979, went to LA, grew up in West Hollywood, California. Um, I spent my entire life there until summer of last year. I moved last year to Miami and right now I'm in Miami. Um, so that's the background. <laughs> what brought you to Miami? Is it Bitcoin or what? What brought you to Miami? No, it's not Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, of course. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And it's not really politics either um, or COVID or any of that stuff. Or I, sh- I should say not at least like general politics, maybe more so politics with relation to our industry. Um, mm-hmm. But we decided in the summer of 2020 that we wanted to expand. And well, two things. We wanted to, number one, diversify to the West Coast which is very unfriendly to our industry uh, and many industries to that, for that matter, especially California. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want to diversify, diversify away from that risk. Uh, and number two, just go to where the growth is. And the growth is in the Southeast. Um, you know, where we felt that there was a tremendous amount of growth in the Southeast, Florida, Georgia, Carolinas. And I think we nailed it. You know, it's just crushing it. And so for you to be able to capture that growth or to be able to be immersed in that growth, you thought it was important to physically be located there from a headquarter perspective as well? Oh, it's not headquarters. Our headquarters is still in LA. Got it. This is more of a satellite office. Um, the LA office has been together for a very long time and that's its own machine. Um, you know, that they, that team has been working together for so many years, they can pretty much complete each other's sentences at this point. So, and I'm on the phone with them pretty much daily. I'm here to build out, uh, this part of the country and, you know, we hired a team, great team and we're off to the races. Uh, I think we bought about a couple hundred million last year in the Southeast, just in this region. We did about half a billion total volume last year and about, uh, 40% of that was here in the Southeast. This year, we're hoping to get closer to a billion, um, and we'll probably be about half and half between LA and Southeast. So if we were to look back, uh, when you originally founded Tryon Properties 2005, give me a sense of why you did that. Obviously, you were, you know, sort of in the space for a few years in a different capacity, but give me a sense of the thinking behind the founding of the company. Well, we were on the services side, right? I was a broker. My partner was on the mortgage side at HFF, and we were young guys doing really great. Uh, but what we noticed was our clients were doing a whole lot better. So <laughs> it was great closing a deal and making a fat commission check, which was amazing at the time. You know, you're in your mid twenties making 40 to 80 grand a deal. And I was like, wow. And we just noticed that our clients were making seven figures per deal. And um, that seemed like just, you know, 
to be honest, much more profitable side. And we bought our first couple deals and we thought, you know, maybe we'll do both. And we really, really liked it. Just saw how much more money we were going to make. So we decided to do it full time. Yeah, I think it was an interesting time, you know, just kind of from my vantage point, you founding in 2005. And then obviously we all know what happened in 08, 09. So you had a little bit of a successful exit prior to the great financial crisis. But give me a sense of what happened then, because I think this is interesting. And obviously, I'm sure, you know, set you up for a tremendous amount of growth moving forward, but help the listeners understand what you were able to accomplish as a result of the level of distress that you saw in the landscape around 2009. Um, we had a very active GFC. So going one step back, we assembled a little portfolio in 05, 06, 07. We going into 08, we saw the writing on the wall um, because that it was kind of a slow descent. What did you exactly notice? Were you noticing just poor lending patterns and so forth across the landscape? Or what were, what were you seeing in terms of the writing on the wall? Oh, the poor lending patterns was blatant back from back to 0405, 06. So, right. but in 07, the subprime lenders started to fold. New Century Financial was the big one. They folded in 07. Bear Stearns, I believe, was 07. Oh, no, that was 08. That was March of 08. But the big subprime lenders were 07. Bear was spring of 08. And it just like, you know, it was a slow descent. And then Lehman finally crashed and the market crashed uh, in September of 08. And by then we had disposed of most of our portfolio. We had a couple properties trickle into 09, but for the most part, we got out unscathed. In 08, as we were selling, we changed our strategy from uh, buying value-add multifamily to targeting non-performing debt secured by multis as well as some REO. Um, and then we had a very active downturn. We did about 20 deals and didn't nothing but lender business during that period. We didn't buy anything from any private individuals or organizations. Everything was banks, Fannie Freddie, servicers, that whole space. Um, picked off our last REO in 2013, uh, first quarter of 2013, and then went back to the value add business and scaled up from there. From there, we started uh, you know, getting out of our comfort zone or we started doing that during the GFC where we started getting out of LA and going to Sacramento and San Diego and Fresno, and then coming out of the GFC in 2013, 14, more like 15, um, we started buying in Portland, Oregon, um, started buying in the Bay Area, and then we got into Colorado a few years later, and uh, here we are. Now we're on two sides of the country, two offices and seven states. Where do you see things going from here with Tryon Properties? Because obviously you, you made a lot of pivots. You're kind of, we're describing 14 years ago. Obviously there's been a huge trajectory since then. And who knows, maybe, we, maybe we've maybe we seen an entire market cycle since the, the bottom there, maybe in 2012, 2013, whatever you want to call it, to now what we've seen over the past 10 years has been quite remarkable. I'm sure you would agree that the past couple of years in particular have been quite interesting and where we're at today is obviously uncharted territory. I do want to get your thoughts on that, but give us a sense of how things have changed since, you know, targeting those distressed debt opportunities secured by multifamily to then leading into the value add space, expanding your marketplace. But how have how has your approach evolved from there? Is it simply scale? Is it simply different types of assets, different markets and so forth? But help us understand where the evolution has come. I think it's coming a few ways. First of all, scale, average deal size, access to capital. You know, back then, coming out of the downturn, 
we can maybe do, we were doing a lot of like five to $15 million deals because that's the only kind of capital we really had access to, you know, go do a syndication, small family offices, $15 million deal, $4 million equity check, some stuff like that. And then as you continue to grow, you grow your track record, word of mouth, build out an IR team, spend money on marketing, spend money on conferences, and you grow out that investor base. So you go from 5 to 10 to 25 investors, and now we have over 1,000 active investors. And that's pretty powerful. So uh, we can buy some pretty big deals. Um, last year, 2021, our average deal size was $51 million. This year, it'll probably be significantly more. Um, and you know, right now we're in a position where we can syndicate a lot of money. So it's a very powerful tool. Geographically also, just like a lot of other groups, you start out in your own backyard. And especially when you're in a city like LA, right? It's, you know, Southern California, it's so dynamic. Then we just started growing out and now we're national. Yeah. And deals have been, you know, especially over the past couple of years, um, have been priced to perfection. So I think, you know, one of the things that I've, sort of learn just by getting familiar with what you guys do is obviously the the sourcing of deals is obviously critical and in, in your network and the access to opportunities that may not be widely marketed is a is a key component. Um, because if you think about it, you know, most of these deals, like I said, are priced to perfection, and you've got a very low margin for error. And so I'm just curious, in, in one regard, how you guys are looking at value add deals today? I mean, how has that shifted over the past couple of years? And then, you know, on the back end of that, it's the sourcing of those opportunities. I mean, is it simply, hey, you know, we've got a lot of great broker relationships or is there something else that you might point to that has given you the access? Maybe it's direct to seller as well. And I'd love to hear that. Access to deals. It's you got to go through the brokerage community. I mean, you know, people try with like the LOIs in the mail and the spam email and all that stuff. But the brokerage community is going to be your best source. I know that I used to be a broker. It's much more complicated than just sending somebody a letter saying, let me make you an offer. It doesn't work that way. Um, sometimes it takes years. Uh, it's very relationship driven. So you've got to go through the brokerage community and you want to make the broker's life as easy as possible. That's really the trick. You know, we're, I know for a fact that out there we have a brand as a phenomenal buyer. So brokers love bringing us deals. We'll put hard money up. We'll close where we say we're going to close. We'll close in a timely fashion. Um, we'll make the deal as easy as possible for the brokers. And for that reason, we get deals. And it's not easy really to buy the scale of deals that you guys are doing today. I mean, obviously you mentioned a few things, having the brand of, you know, a, a group that is easy to work with that does what they say they're going to do. They put up hard money, but still, you're, I'm sure you're still facing a tremendous amount of competition as, you know, there's so much liquidity looking for a home. And obviously, multifamily real estate is one of the least volatile asset classes. With that said, I'm just curious, are you looking at value add deals differently today than you did two years ago? Call it before COVID. I mean, before the pandemic, how are you looking at deals differently? And, you know, maybe you could just kind of highlight that if, if any, maybe there's not, maybe you're not looking at them differently. I mean, you got to always look at them differently, right? So it's, that's, I mean, if there's, we've all heard of the expression, if there's one thing constant, it's change mm -hmm. and everything's constantly changing. I mean, look at interest rates over the past few weeks. So we're looking different deals differently today as we sit here in mid-April significantly differently than we were a month ago because of what's going on in the capital markets. Spreads are blowing out with debt funds, but not with agencies and interest rates. You've got a huge, very steep SOFR curve. 
And there's a lot to think about there, right? So you got to think about what your exit caps are going to be, what's your growth rate going to be, what's your cost of capital, what's your real cost of capital going to be during the hold period as your interest rate floats up because, you know, you can't, it's very difficult to buy any of these with fixed rate debt. So there's a lot to think about. What do you actually, how do you look at the interest rate environment? I mean, do you really think that we're going to see a run up uh, in the regard that the Fed is kind of projecting? Or do you think that there's a little bit of you know, positioning there that, that may go the other direction. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think there's going to be a run-up. I think that it sh there should be a run-up because there's inflation. And if you look at it historically, the number one fighter for inflation is high interest rates. And we really need to tame that beast because working class and middle-class Americans are getting a 25% spike in their food and gas and shelter. That's not sustainable and that needs to be tampered. So we need to see a hike in rates. Um, I wouldn't be surprised actually if it happens faster than what they're projecting. Um, they might not be saying it right now, probably because they don't want the markets to respond, but I wouldn't be surprised. You know, we see two to 300 basis points by year end and then it'll probably plateau, you know, 300 something and hopefully that lasts about a year or so and they'll, they'll come back down. Hey guys, just a quick word from our sponsor, then we'll be right back to the show. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital, a national real estate investment firm founded by myself and my business partner, Brian Flaherty. CF Capital's mission is to provide property investment and asset management solutions to help investors like you maximize their returns by investing in high value multifamily communities. If you are looking for risk adjusted alternative investments in quality apartment communities are seeking tax optimized cash flow with appreciation upside without all the hassles of management, you might benefit from learning more about investing alongside our team. You're invited to reach out and learn more about how you can invest with us by visiting cfcapllc.com. We're also currently offering a free ebook called The Bottom Line, 10 Ways to Increase Cash Flow in an Apartment Complex. Whether you're a new or experienced investor, we're confident you'll find massive value in this resource. So go get your free copy today at cfcaploc.com. And now please enjoy the rest of the show. What do you think that does to cap rates? I mean, I, I think about what we're seeing in the current market environment and, you know, some of your primary markets. I mean, you're looking at, you know, 90s, 2000 multifamily product, you know, trading at a T3 or T, T6, you know, 2.5, 2.8% cap rate. I mean, how does this environment impact that moving forward? Well, I think the problem is less so the 2.5 and 2.8 and 3 cap. I think the problem is the forward cap rate. So a lot of those 2.5s to 2.8s translate to a four and a quarter untrended, right? And then you're trending up to, let's say, four and three quarters or four and a half, four, seven, four, eight, whatever it is over a three-year hold. If you've got 5% plus cost of debt, that's just not going to work. So right. those forward cap rates, I think there's going to have to be a little movement out unless again, you know, unless folks continue to underwrite extremely aggressive rent growth, which is what we're seeing. But I think there, there's got to be some pullback there. Yeah, it's, you know, the, the extremely aggressive rent growth has certainly been a fact. I mean, we've seen that obviously across the country and some markets like Phoenix, you're seeing 30% year over year rent growth. You know, the question is, how sustainable is that moving forward? And I think we all agree, you know, as you mentioned, you know, most middle class families in America are being squeezed tremendously by inflation. And of course, rent is one part of that pie. But the question is, will wages increase to that level. And we haven't seen that yet. So there, I would imagine there's going to be some level of plateau, but are you projecting forward a healthy level of rent growth in the markets that you guys are looking at still, or how are you projecting that moving forward? We're very disciplined. So first and foremost, our North star, our key metric is untrended return on cost. 
So we want to know where we're going to be on a mark to market uh, without rank growth. So we look at that first and foremost. Then we're right now we're trending at about 4% annually for over the next three years, which I think is very conservative, you know, given that's half of CPI, that's 400 basis points below CPI. That's pretty conservative. You know, back pre-COVID, we would underwrite two and a half to 3%, but that's when CPI was two and a half to 2.8%. There was virtually no inflation. So now we've bumped up our rent growth assumptions to 4%, but you're half a CPI. So I think we're being pretty conservative and that's getting us, you know, kind of 60 to 65 basis points over a three-year hold of rent growth. So, you know, if we're underwriting to a 4849 untrended return on cost, we get to a five and a half and revert at hopefully four and three quarters, five, and the deal works. So talk to me about um, one of the things that it, it seems like your company is really focused on is, is delivering outsized returns without taking outsized risks. So could you kind of help me understand or help the listener understand what that actually looks like for you guys? Yeah, sure. So... Again, we're not going to, number one, we're not going to underwrite insane rent growth and buy extremely low cap rate, no, extremely low forward cap rates that are untrended. Um, we're not going to buy anything where you have to open up walls. I mean, we've done this and we understand the risks that are associated with it, but we're not going to buy anything where you have to rewire or replumb the entire building. Um, it's extremely onerous. It's very difficult to execute. Um, it's traditionally done with older assets where you have asbestos. So you have to manage that removal as well. Mm -hmm. And the juice just isn't worth the squeeze. We are doing a very heavy value add. We love doing heavy value add, but we want it to be on cosmetics. We want it to be on basic deferred maintenance, like roof, maybe some HVAC, some siding, not getting in behind the walls where you have to do plumbing and electrical. So give us a sense of how you approach a distress deal versus a value add deal. I mean, it could obviously distress can come in many forms. It can be operational, it can sure. be physical, or it could be both. Uh, and the same with value add, but give us a sense of how you approach a distress deal versus value add. And, and maybe distress isn't a major part of your acquisition target at this point in the game, but I'd love to even look back if you were to describe the difference approach value add you're typically buying something that's just undermanaged um you're doing the cosmetics you're modernizing the units you're modernizing the amenities you're modernizing the common area you're painting the exterior doing the landscape you're taking an older asset modernizing it to 22 2022 standards to the best of your ability right so Something you'll hear us say often is we want to deliver the best class B plus product in the marketplace. We'll take a C and turn it to the best class B we possibly can. That's what we like to do. And how do you do that? Is that from the vertical integration of construction, management, and so forth to be able to streamline costs? Because obviously, you know, in, to, to a certain degree, if you're going to be the, let's say you're going to be the best B class in a market and you've got a C or C minus asset, obviously there's a significant cost related to that. We've seen that run up, you know, we're talking about rent growth and all the inflation that we've all experienced in a good way. You know, also in the challenging way is that costs, you know, are rising in terms of operations, in terms of CapEx improvements. Um, are you able to achieve some sort of, uh, you know, arbitrage there because of the vertical integration that you guys have created or, or how do you how do you do that? Well, there's no question about that. We definitely are able to control our costs because we're vertically integrated. Uh, we've got a full construction management team and um, a lot of relationships with vendors for both material, labor, combination of the two. Um, 
property management. Uh, we've got a lot of vendors on the operation side. So there's just no question about it that we're able to control costs um, with both OPEX and CAPEX and also drive revenue um, because we've got full visibility into the software. We're talking to the personnel day in, day out. Uh, we're able to really you know, discuss rents, what's happening on site, how's the market responding and uh, optimize our top line and ultimately our NOI. Uh, a lot of the times with third-party management, you can't do that because there's a layer between you and the on-site staff and everybody else involved. What was the critical mass for you looking back to make that decision to become vertically integrated? Or maybe you started early on, but I'm, I'm curious, was there a breaking point that you identified and said, hey, at X thousand units, now it's time to, to bring property management in-house? Or do you recall what that decision was? Oh, it was very early on. It was almost day one. Um, we bought our first few properties when we were still working at our old shops. I was at Marcus, Mitch was at HFF. So we would use third-party management. And then when we left, we hired people in-house and we started doing it day one. And you don't get, I mean, you, we don't make any money on, on the management fees. You're basically running it at a loss for years. And it's not a profit center for us. It's, that's not how we look at it. The management fees on its best day help keep the lights on. What it's really all about is the operational superiority of the asset. Absolutely. No, this is uh, this is super helpful to understand just how you're thinking about things. And and obviously your trajectory, obviously, looking back, you made challenging decisions to be able to bring things like that in house and be able to operate at a loss with the vision to say, look, this is what's going to be in the best interest of our investors and our, our company moving forward. And so obviously you've stacked on that for years and years and years. One of the things I wanted to you know riff with you on is kind of how you're seeing just the overall macroeconomic landscape. We already talked about interest rates. We've already talked a little bit about inflation and so forth and where things are moving. Obviously, you being originally from Ukraine is is unique. And, and obviously, it's been in the news significantly from a geopolitical instability standpoint. But we've got a very uh, unique set of circumstances along, uh, you know, across many different factors. But how are you thinking about uh, the current economic landscape, the market conditions today, and projecting moving forward? Because you're always making decisions based on three, five plus years in terms of an investment decision. But I'd, I'd love to know, how are you making sense of everything? Like from a geopolitical and just economic Geo landscape? Geopolitical, or? macroeconomics, obviously it impacts, I think everything's interrelated when it comes down to, you know, multifamily sort of occupancy trends, um, you know, cap rates, interest rates and so forth. But yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts about how you guys are seeing everything and how you're making sense of all the different crosswinds. I think the way we look at it right now, inflation is the 8,000 pound gorilla in the room. And even though the interest rates that are inevitably going to increase substantially are going to impact that, put a little bit of a lid on the rent growth, it won't stop it. It's impossible because the last report a few days ago was at eight and a half percent, which which is trailing, which probably means we're really in nine and a half to 10 right now and no signs of slowing down. Um, so there is going to be substantial rent growth. Everything we buy right now, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we underwrite with 4% rent growth. We're typically hitting that by the time we close escrow. You know, we, we underwrite a deal, let's say in January, we get it tied up in February, we close it in April, early May. By the time we close, we're already well beyond the 4% rent growth. And inflation 
is just on a tear and probably not going to slow down anytime soon. So even though interest rates are going up um, and everyone, you know, that's causing a lot of fear in the system. Uh, inflation is there. It's very real. And our asset class is arguably the single best asset class in America uh, for an inflationary environment. Totally agree. Totally agree. What else do you pay attention to beyond inflation? I mean, obviously, inflation is holding the, you know, the centerpiece of your intention for for many regards. But what other factors are you paying attention to, or maybe you're concerned up about, or you're seeing opportunities within across the landscape? Is there anything else? Any other factors? Any other trends that you know, are kind of taking your attention? I think the big ones right now are just managing that and interest rates. I mean, you definitely don't need to manage inflation. I mean, even that's something you have to think about because you get these renewals and increases that just look like so astronomical. And we're, we're not gonna, I mean, you know, 40%, 50%, we're not gonna do that on a renewal. So you gotta manage that. Then you gotta think about the interest rates and how those two things balance. So just a lot of um, managing the macro, definitely in our industry right now, we're definitely managing the macro. So as an investor, one of the things that I've found to be important in, in my own investing business, and I'm sure many others have as well, and, and I, I would imagine you have as well as just kind of bump up against sort of the conversation that you're having between the ears. So I'd love to know, I mean, what role has mindset played in your trajectory? And obviously, you've, you know, you've had a substantial amount of activity, you're continuing to grow uh, as a leader, as an executive, but what role does mindset play for you? Huge. Number one, sound body, sound mind, right? You got to be working out in the mornings, getting your exercise in, watching your diet. Uh, and I think that is a part of the persona. Uh, number two, in terms of mindset, just think big, big picture. Just do what's best for the long term. Don't do what's best for the short term. Um, every decision you make should be a long term decision without, of course, driving yourself into bankruptcy, uh, you know, you got to, of, of course, walk that fine line, mm -hmm. but you know, we're always reinvesting in our business, increasing our overhead, increasing our capital expenditures from a corporate perspective and, uh, growing our company. I appreciate that. I think about the all decisions long-term with the balance of not going bankrupt is actually a really interesting way to describe it. Not one that I've actually thought about consciously, but that is something that you have to balance. It's like, yeah, well, the best interest of our company or our investing is to do this. And of course, that's going to pay off in 10 years. But how are we going to make sure that we continue to survive and we continue to put food on the table and support sort of the overhead that we have? But you talked about sound body, sound mind. I'd love to dive into that just a little bit. You talked about working out in the mornings on a consistent basis and thinking about your diet. How do you approach that? I mean, what does that look like? Is that a three, four, five days a week sort of approach in terms of the physical activity? And, you know, what does that look like? Or, or give us a sense of uh, look behind the curtain there. Yeah, three to four days a week. I used to do more. I used to do five, six, but then married kids, business grew, flew across the country to Miami. I was on a tear January and February. And then the first week of March, I actually cracked my rib while snowboarding. Oh, wow. So I'm just trying to get back into it right now. But uh, yeah, I think for, you know, depending on what you have going on in your life, you should try to do it four days a week. Plus try to find some time on weekends. If you can't do mornings, I love doing mornings. There's no way I'm doing after work. Uh, so, you know, try to get to the gym in the mornings or go for a bike ride or go for a run. And, uh, if I can't do three or four during the week, then I'll, uh, 
supplement on weekends. Do you have a trainer or anything like that? Or what does the, what does a regiment look like? Twice a day. I'm sorry. Twice a week with a trainer, weight training, cardio, the whole nine. Well, with the trainer, we're doing weights, right? I don't need to pay somebody X amount per hour to watch me jog on a treadmill. Well, I'm not sure if you're doing any high intensity interval training or anything oh, like that. Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, no. We'll, we'll sometimes like, you know, go through fast reps and a fast circuit, but I like weight training. I'm a big believer of, you know, doing heavy weights. Um, so I lean that way. Yeah, same here. And less reps, way, heavier I, weights. I completely agree because I think it's like when you stress your body, you can deal with more stress in the business and it doesn't kind of set you back and knock you down as much as, as it could otherwise. So I think there's a lot of value in that. Thinking about how do you how do you think about your diet? I mean, you mentioned um, obviously that being a huge component. I think a lot of people miss that. It's like, well, we could you know spend as much time as we want in the gym, but it's not going to change anything if we don't change what's coming into the body. So what does that what does your diet look like? I'm a pescatarian. I don't eat meat. I don't eat any red meat or poultry, uh, just fish, veggies, pasta, you know, some here and there, but typically not eating breakfast unless I have a breakfast meeting, which I do a lot of, but not like, you know, not multiple times a week, you know, once a week or so tops. Um, so I skip that and then, you know, have like a salad or something at lunch, soup and salad or a salad and, uh, having fish or some sort of veggies at dinner. I love it. How else are you investing in yourself personally? Um, cause I, I, I'm a firm believer that, you know, our success lags our own personal development. How else are you investing in yourself or do you have any favorite ways that you invest in yourself and your own growth? I read a lot of books, love reading books, business, not business. Um, a lot of business, uh, also love to travel. I think that's investing in yourself, right? You know, you get out there. I think traveling makes you more intelligent because you expose yourself to the way other people live. Um, while you're traveling, you kind of sort of almost start to live like them and you give yourself that perspective. Uh, at least from, you know, as a tourist, you know, you're kind of, you know, whether using their form of transportation or their restaurants and stuff like that. So, uh, I think that grows, you know, that grows you personally and whatever type of education, you can create for yourself, you know, doing stuff like this, whether it's being on a podcast or listening to a podcast and anything to expand the mind. I totally agree, man. I totally agree. Well, that's awesome. Well, I want to transition to the rapid fire section of the podcast. It's called the rare air questionnaire. It's all about being uncommon. You know, sometimes you have to make uncommon decisions if we want to achieve uncommon results and design an uncommon life. And obviously you've laid a great foundation for that for us today, Max. So I appreciate that. Uh, you just mentioned books and reading and uh, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about books and maybe some of the most impactful that you've read over the past few years. Are there two or three that come to mind? Um, I recently read Atomic Habits, really liked it. You know, that's more of like a self-improvement type book. I mean, look, at the end of the day, who are we? We're just a culmination of our habits, right? So if you have great habits, you'll be a great person. And it's really that simple. Um, I just read the Bob Iger bio. I thought it was awesome. Um, last year, I read The Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass, which was, you know, one of his autobiographies. And it was incredible, incredible. You know, you, you forget about the atrocities of history. And then when you read it from the first person, it's just, oh, wow. And I thought that was a very great, inspiring book. We'll put links in the show notes as where the listeners can find those books. So thank you for that, Max. Max, aside from what we've already talked about today, what's the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis? Um, growth, just constant growth, whether it be business or personal, 
taking yourself, your company, your career, everything to the next level. Just focusing on expansion. Correct. Love that. Yeah. And I, I'm a firm believer that in any moment we're making a decision and it's either expansion or contraction. And so the question is, let's get back to expansion, right? Let's, you know, let's course correct towards that. So I love that. What's the biggest way that you elevate others around you, Max? I get out of their way. Um, I very much believe in decentralization. Um, you know, I would say our management philosophy is not to micromanage is also not like fully abdicating. And I would say it's more consultative, you know, just, you know, you're hired to do a job, do it. I'll stay out of your way. Of course, you know, consult with me and everybody else or whoever your manager is in our company. And, uh, you know, we'll get, put you in the right direction and you know, we're constantly having correspondence, but our job isn't to tell you how to put one foot in front of the other. I love that, man. That's really good. I get out of the way. Um, it, it obviously pays to have a really strong team. And, and I love just kind of that look behind the curtain in terms of your leadership and management. Um, but Max, man, thank you so much, man. This is a, this is a lot of fun and uh, obviously admire yeah, what you guys are doing in the business and otherwise. Uh, I can't wait to see where you take things over the next few years. But are there any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd like to share with Elevate Nation today? Never stop growing. Boom. There it is. Max, uh, Max Sharkansky, everybody. Thank you so much again for being on the podcast. Tell the listeners where they can learn more about you and your company. Uh, visit the website, tryonproperties.com, T-R-I-O-N, like Nancy, properties, plural.com. Create an account. You can log in, create an account. You'll get on our distribution. You'll see our deals. You'll see our newsletters, uh, thoughts from our execs. Um feel free to shoot me an email and I can put you in touch with our IR team. It's max max at tryonproperties.com. Max until next time, my friend, thanks again for being on the podcast. You got it. Thanks for having me. Elevate nation quick hitter right there. Kind of, uh, you know, with Max Sharkansky and, I just hope you realize, I mean, this is a, you know, very, very, very accomplished real estate executive investor in the space. And so, you know, we just were able to kind of dive into a brief thought process of the way that he's thinking, the way that he's seeing things, the way that he's able to, to grow his company. And there's a lot of clues, you know, if you want to do big things, never stop growing, never stop growing, whether it's professionally, personally, or otherwise, um, in your health, in your fitness, but also in your leadership and your management. So, I mean, there's just so much here. There's so much value. I want to encourage you to re-listen to the show. When you listen twice, you learn twice as much or more, by the way. I want you to identify, I want to encourage you to identify your top one, two, or three takeaways from this episode. What are some things that surprise you? What are some things that allows you to give you the encouragement to go do a little bit more research or figure something out? What challenges are you facing in your business right now that you identified an opportunity to create a solution for through this episode? What are those things you want to take action on? Make a commitment to take massive action, whether it's in those distinctions, whether it's, you know, sharing this episode with a friend and having a discussion, those are action steps. So I want to encourage you to take this, you know, this potential power, which is knowledge and insight to real power, which is action, which is application, which is change, which is transformation. And I just want to thank you so much for being here. I want to thank you so much for listening. And until next time, Elevate Nation, thanks so much for tuning in and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoy this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results 
by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.